What's going on, everybody? We're back for the Real Bodybuilding Podcast, episode number 29. I'm with my man, Dominic Cardone. Dominic, what's up, man? What's up, Fuad? Thank you for having me, dude. Uh, I want to have you on because you are you have become a prominent figure in the bodybuilding community in the coaching realm, but I also know that you have a crazy physique, so I have a lot of questions for you about that and your coaching, and I want to get into some uh, X's and O's because there's a lot of guys out there that don't know what they're doing. So cool. yeah, let's uh, whatever you want. Let's talk about everything. So the first thing I want to get into is just your competition and like where you turn pro, how you turn pro, how long you keep competing, how old you are. Because I know you're 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 still a young guy, right? Yeah, I'm 26. Yeah, so you so, still got a. You're just kind of getting started. Yeah, in all uh, in all realm, I'm definitely getting started. So just give everybody a little background and you know what I've done and how I got started. So I basically started training at 15. I was playing football. I played football all my life. And then going into my sophomore year, I discovered YouTube. And that's when YouTube was first getting started. Mm-hmm. And uh, I discovered Ronnie Coleman and Jay Cutler. And I already loved training. A month into training for my sophomore year, I was in love with it. And mm-hmm. I was always a big research guy, either it be football, when I used to skateboard when I was a kid. I was like the research and dig myself in online. Yeah. So I uh, just dug myself in, started discovering more bodybuilders. And a few months in, I'm like, you know what? Screw this. I'm going to bodybuild one day. And I first competed when I was 16. Mm-hmm. I did the NPC Metropolitan, which is Steve Weinberger's show. Mm-hmm. I won the teen class. I actually beat a 19-year-old. I placed fifth in the uh, open light heavyweight, fourth in the novice light heavyweight. Did the Easterns when I was 18. Won the novice class there. Won the teens there and placed fifth in the uh, open class, which actually Marco Vera was in that class. Mike yeah. Yablon, a few good guys. Did teen nationals. Won the heavyweight class, lost the overall to team uh, to Cody, Cody Montgomery. That was 2012. And then I uh, took some time off. And then 2014, when I was 21, I did the uh, Easterns. And again, I only did uh, Bev shows. Easterns, I won the overall. And yeah. two weeks later, I went to Nationals in Miami. Yeah. And I won my pro card, won the heavyweight class. And that's when I first started seeing you was that those last two shows. Because <clears throat> I remember seeing this kid and going, holy fuck, look at the size of his legs. <laughs> that was the one body part that I was like, this is, this kid's not 21 years old. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, dude. My legs always carried me throughout. My upper body is always behind, but it's funny. I tell the story to everybody. It's hard to believe, but my first leg workout ever was, my first workout ever was legs. Yeah. And I couldn't walk for days. It was so bad. I remember my mom was like flipping out. She didn't know what was going on, but I loved it. And a few days after you started seeing my teardrop develop, the yeah. outer sweep, and I was only 15. Yeah. And, from then I love training legs, but yeah, my legs always carry me, dude. I always just love fucking getting under heavyweight squatting and whatnot. So is that, so before we go on with other stuff, since we, since we got on that, what is your recipe for, what's your recipe for legs? Is it, is it a genetic thing with you or do you have an actual recipe that will like get guys legs to grow? So it is genetics for me. I mean, my dad even competed after I started competing. His legs is his biggest body part. Legs runs yeah. in our family, but we also fucking crush it in the gym like how you're supposed to crush legs. I mean, to give everybody a rundown of what I did all the way up until, you know, I didn't really stop competing until my break. It was always leg extensions to failure. Go to the squat rack, and I was squatting. The most I squatted was um, six plates and a quarter each side for eight. And then I would do that, and I would do like a quadruple drop set. Yeah. Um, and then we'll go to hack squats or leg <laughs> press, go to failure in that. Yeah. Um, and then I'll go to hamstrings and then calves either before or after, but that was every week. Squatting was always my number See, one go-to, dude. 
so it's funny when you say that workout, most guys are going to go, well, big deal. You just did leg extensions, squats and hack squats. Those are three exercises. But the, what, what you're not describing is you're going to failure on like four, five, six, seven sets, or are you going to failure on one set at the end or what are you doing? No, dude, on leg extension, we'll get a couple warm-ups in and then two to three sets would be the failure. I mean, my legs would be fucking swollen after all that. Yeah. yeah. And then I'm pretty well ready to go. And then we go into squats. So for instance, like a squat set, my favorite squats, I missed doing it was, um, you know, the bar for 20, a plate for 20, 225 for 15 to 20, 315 for about 12, four or five for 10 to 12, five plates for eight to 10, <coughs> and then to the six and then to the six and a quarter, which is almost 10 reps every time. And then take a break, a couple minutes, do the six plates and a quarter again for whatever I could, and then do a triple or quadruple drop set. And every set was fucking all the way down, all the way yeah. up. I do admit it was a little too ballistic, and we'll get yeah. into my back injuries and all that whatnot. Yeah. But that was fucking all-out failure. And then you go into either leg press a hack squat, build up, and then that last set would be failure. Yeah. And then it's a little bit of hamstring. But it was all about the intent, it was all about intensity and intent in every set. So I guess you could say you don't necessarily prescribe to the the thought process that you need so many different exercises to build legs. You just need to focus on the ones that work. A hundred percent. Because I think people get so caught up in and I think you would agree with this, with all these different exercises and all these different techniques. All you have to do is find a couple movements that really work for you. And usually they're the most basic ones yeah. and get really strong with them, train with value with them, get the technique down perfect. And the main thing is fucking intensity. You see people like they're afraid to go to failure. Yeah. They're afraid to push themselves beyond that limit. I mean, I don't have to tell you. And that's aside from genetics. I mean, that's really accelerated the growth of my legs and see people today too. Nobody really trains legs as they should, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, I don't have to tell you fucking you were, you're a leg freak. Yeah. Um, and I, that's why we don't really see too many big legs on stage that are like wow anymore. You see some decent ones, but nothing like that's too wowing. I don't, uh, well, I see a lot of pros squatting a lot of weight, um, but I don't necessarily see guys squatting a lot of weight or necessarily leg pressing or hack squatting, hack squatting, hack squatting for tons of reps. That's kind of what I don't see. I don't see the, you know, hack squatting seven plates and then dropping to six, five, four, three, and doing that all out drop set where you're kind of crushing it to the very end. Um, I know there's some guys doing it, but you're right. It's not a common thing anymore. No. And that's the one thing I was like, my first coach was Fakir Mubarak. Yeah. And, uh, you know, his resume speaks for itself. And he was a very old school type of guy with the training. And he taught me how to train heavy and with volume. Yeah. You know, people get so caught up in, okay, too many reps, too many sets. If you're eating and you're taking gear hmm. and you're sleeping, then you pay attention to recovery. And that's how you gauge things. But you really got to push things beyond the fucking limits to really get things to grow, especially legs. We don't want to look normal. You don't want to look okay. You don't want to look just like, eh. You want to look, you want to step on stage like, wow. And that's, in my opinion, how to create that look. And that's how it was taught. It's heavy with volume, failure, and beyond. And just learn the proper techniques and how to recover from all that too. Do you think that same methodology applies to other body parts? Because I don't know if, I don't, personally feel like you can do the same thing to like chest that you can do to legs no way because i did the same thing for chest all through that time period and my chest was always one of my weakest body parts it was always very shallow yeah. Dude, my yeah. form wasn't the best my shoulders took over but i did the same thing and it just didn't get it done for me personally what i figured out over the last few years well 2015 going to 2016 when i last competed in new york pro we'll get into that but even now with my comeback is chest, you can't take all that. It's not a big body part of yeah. your legs. It's yeah. not going to be a recovery. Your joints are going to be fatigued. Your shoulders, your elbows are going to kick in. 
your triceps are going to get fatigued, and how's your chest supposed to recover from all that? Mm -hmm. You really can't. And arms are the same way too. You can't pummel them with all that. First of all, I don't really like training arms with heavy, heavy, too moderate weight's good, but heavy. There's no reason. The volume needs to be there. Back could be trained with heavy and hard, but you know things like delts and chest. It's just going to be too. You're going to be putting yourself in the negative. That's what I did for years, and my chest was very shallow when I turned pro. I feel like when it comes to arms, moderate weight works. When it comes to chest and back, you can go heavy, but the volume can't be the same as legs. Legs seem to be the, like quads seem to be the only body part where you can go heavy and high volume. And that's the perfect recipe for them. Because I see, I see guys, some guys use a ton of weight, but not a lot of volume and their legs just don't look that big and round. I so, agree. Well, think of, it's that big, exactly, that volume, yeah. this big round look that you're talking about that yeah. a lot of people lack. And the detail too. The detail comes from a type of training I feel as well. Yeah. So you turned pro at 21. Yeah. And then you did, what did you do after that? Cause I know you've been on a break. Did you compete after that or did you take a break after that? Yes. So, um, I took a little break and then I competed. Um, so just to give a rundown, that's uh, going to be leading to a whole nother story. So I did the New York pro 2016. Okay. Um, I had my off season 2015. I got to 270, 275. I wasn't lean or anything. Um, Chris Cedar was doing my diet. Oscar Arden, I was training with Oscar Arden. It was going great, dude. I mean, I was everything was clicking. Everything was good. Um, six weeks out, I was 249, and I was a couple weeks away from being ready. I was at my biggest and leanest ever. Knowing my body, once I hit a certain weight, I only lose like five more pounds after that, and a couple yeah. of pounds of water, I'm ready. So I probably would have been on stage around 235, 240, um, knowing my body and what they were saying. So six weeks out, I, dude, I had the pictures. I, even I look back at them like, holy fuck, if only I was 100%. Yeah. Um, but my mom went into a coma. Uh, six weeks out, she was battling leukemia since 2015 or 2014. Um, and basically, she was supposed to die that night. And But she lasted three and a half weeks. So those three and a half weeks, I was still – Oscar was actually bringing my meals to the city. Me and my dad and my brothers were rotating the hospital because yeah. she was in the ICU. So we couldn't leave her alone. We didn't trust the doctors. We always watched over her. Um, so doing everything in Manhattan. I was training. Oscar was coming to train Manhattan, bringing my meals I would run home, see my dogs, go back, up for 30 hours at a time. Every day was a roller coaster. Um, she was supposed to die every day. Fucking kidney failure, um, AFib, throw AFib, throwing everything you could imagine. We'll just up and down, and then we see a little bit of light, something yeah. fucking happened. So that was like true stress. But you know, I still ate my meals. I was still training the city right nearby the hospital. My dad was telling me to still do it. He said, your mom's still going to want you to do it. And then she died around three weeks out. So, um, I'm sorry, dude. Well, it's, it's all right, dude. You know, it was a big learning experience. And, um, but I remember saying to my dad, I'm like, dude, I don't need anything to do with shows. He's like, listen, he goes, you're not going to be near your best. He goes, your mom wanted to do your first pro show. Just do it. And, uh, I sort of was going through his motions, but, um, the day after the New York pro, I was 206 pounds after all the food and water ate. Mind you, I turned pro at 223. You were 206 pounds? The day after the show, dude. How'd you lose so much weight? So in the hospital, I guess it was just starvation, the cardio, the stress. I lost a ton of muscle. And then, two, the last week, there was way too much diuretics. I don't blame Chris because yeah. when you looked at my body, you didn't know which end was up and which way was down. My body was just a fucking mess, dude. I still had some fat on me. Um, I was a watery mess. So we did a lot of diuretics. And I was like 225 a week out which still was very stringy for me in that phase compared to when yeah. I turned pro. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, dude, I lost a lot of weight that week, and just, there was just no coming back from it. I'm surprised you kept going, man. Yeah, you know what it is, too? That's just how they raise us. And I was still – I don't want anybody to take 
the long way of how I'm saying this. I was still in the hospital. I wasn't taking time away from my family. I was still, yeah, family. Yeah. Was still right to the side. Um, but, you know, she, you know, my dad wanted me to finish it. She would have wanted me to finish it. And I did. You know, it was a big learning experience, actually. I don't regret that I did it, even though I look like shit. Mm. I just learned a lot. I learned a lot about the people around me. I learned a lot about my mental state, uh, my mental fortitude, and a lot about my body, too. You know, how yeah. stress and all that stuff. So it was a big, big learning experience for me, you know. And then uh, I haven't competed since. Yeah. In um, 2006, my dad died of a heart attack, and I was... 11 weeks out from my first pro show. Oh shit. I'm and, sorry. Uh, no, it's, it's fine now. I mean, it's been a long time. He was, he just died of old age. It was, you know, he was 80 years old, but um, I remember feeling kind of the same way your dad felt the way he said to you, like my family was kind of like, he would want you to keep doing it. He would want you to go ahead. He would want you to finish. I actually learned how to kind of channel that energy. I mean, for you, it was probably too close to the show to, channel any kind of energy and you're going through a lot with the coma and all that but for me because his death was sudden I was able to take that energy and channel it into the into the prep it's probably the best I ever looked it didn't really hit me that he was gone until the show was over once the show was over I was kind of like holy shit like you know what I mean like you just you're kind of in like another place that's what happened to me yeah I think I used it to I think I used it to block out the fact that he had passed away it was like a band-aid in a way. Yeah, yeah. And then when the show yeah. was done, I was like, holy fuck, you know, this is it actually happened. Like I have to I have to actually deal with it now. So I, I guess it's it's interesting how things can either cripple us or we can use them to our advantage. I guess it's a testament to your mental strength that you're able to keep going and go through with it. Cause I don't think a lot of people would have been able to. No, so. I mean, especially the stuff that you know, everybody's different. You know, I don't want to say any I don't want to put out there that somebody's weak if they don't finish. I don't no. think about it. Follow what they say, you know. I yeah. just have to like put a little disclaimer on things. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, I still push through. It was really, yeah, it was a bit hard to channel the energy because my energy was always high. And those last three weeks were sort of just like, like I guess I just went through the motions, but it yeah. still didn't hit me. Like same thing as you. And then after the show, I was able to breathe. And then a month went by. I'm like, okay. And then two months went by, and then it really started to hit me. Yeah. And that just snowballed for a long time, and I stopped training, mm-hmm. and I just stopped paying my bills, and I just – I was drinking. I wasn't didn't have a drinking problem, but I didn't realize I was drinking more than yeah. I should have been. And uh, until I started seeking out help and whatnot, a therapist, and started talking things out and not holding these things in, that's when I realized what I was doing and where I was going. And it took me some time to heal from that, dude. And people ask why we were out so long finances well my mental state and finances can i can i can i interrupt you for one second though because you had a break because you had a break uh you said you competed in 2016 but you had a you turned pro in 2012 uh no i turned pro in 2014 oh okay so you only had like a year off and then or a year year and a half and then you started prep oh and that's right too my i was still living with my family when i turned pro and our house our house burned down Holy uh, shit. March 2015. Yeah, that was a whole other thing. And then that's yeah. when I went on my own and all that stuff. So, but yeah, I had a small break in between. Okay. Okay. So after a couple months went by, you kind of hit you and you went through a, like a drinking phase or were you still bodybuilding or were you just like, fuck it all for a little while? I said, fuck everything for a while, dude. Yeah. I said, fuck it. I wasn't bodybuilding. I wasn't even training. I was a training here or there. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I was just so lost for a while. And this yeah. went on for a while because I was. I, almost, I don't want to make it seem like I had a drinking problem because I didn't. No, it's I okay. Yeah. Drinking on the weekends a lot. Sometimes on the weekdays, out night with friends. 
And after a while, I realized, okay, what the fuck am I doing here? This isn't yeah. what I'm supposed to be doing. Seek out some help. 2017, things started to get in somewhat motion for me. And um, I was going to do the Ferdino Classic. I was okay. started training like July 2017. And then September hit 2017. I'm like, what am I doing? I have, I'm like living bill to bill, week to week. I'm putting all my money into this. And what will be the outcome? That I do this show, maybe I get a little more status. What if I'm not at my best? Hmm. So then I tried to join the army. <laughs> my two, <Okay. laughs> yeah. All right, I'm following you. So uh, my two brothers that year, they both enlisted in the army. One, one's an infantryman, one's a tanker, and now he's going EOD. So you know what? This is something I always wanted to do. I'm like, you know, take a little break for things. I could always come back to bodybuilding. Yeah. And uh, I had a hand tattoo, which I should have never got. My mom was always against tattoos, but I was going through that phase. And they said, no neck, no hands, no face. So I spent five months removing the tattoo, which was very expensive, very painful. Yeah. I got into running and stripping off some muscle and all that good stuff. And then December 2017, he was like, I checked in with him every week to recruit him. Okay. And I remember the last time I checked in, and he got nasty as fuck with me. Why? You can't be rushing this. You have until you're 34. You can't be doing this every week. This I'm like, you told me to check in with you every week for whatever yeah. reason. And yeah. no, I don't have until I'm 34. I'm trying to get my life going now. And at yeah. that point, I'm like, what the fuck do I do here? And then Joe Bailey comes to me. And the coaching was always a side thing for me throughout yeah. the years. I never had this vision of it being a business. I never had this vision of being this. Were you, coach, always, were you coaching people all along, like all through this time? Yes, but I only had a few clients. I didn't have many yeah. people. It was just a side thing. I posted it here or there. Yeah. And I always loved it, but I never thought I could really do anything with it, you know? Um, actually my first client was my dad when I was 16. Okay. okay. And that's uh, how I got really got into it. And I always researched, always like to learn, but through this time I was coaching people here and there. And that was sort yeah. of how I was keeping my head in the industry just a little bit, you know? Yeah. yeah. So, so, uh, so Joe comes to you. So Joe comes to me. Now, one thing, Joe, he went through the same thing with his mom as I did. Mm-hmm. Uh, same exact thing. And I've been with Joe AD since 2015 and throughout this whole time, he was very, very supportive. And he comes, he goes, listen, he goes, I know I understand what you're going through. He goes, we're going to have to reconfigure things business-wise. He goes, so let me earn my way back into AD living. He goes, Dom, he goes, you're a really good coach. He goes, why don't you see if you could do this as like a full-time thing? And I'm like. So can I, I sorry, I want to interrupt you again. So for those no, of you. As much as you want. <laughs> so those, for those of you who don't know, Joe Binley, is it Binley? Joe Binley, so, yeah. So Joe Binley is the owner of AD, uh, AD is it AD Nutrition? Uh, project AD, anabolic design. Project, yeah. pro- project AD. Okay, so it's a supplement company. Were you with them at the time, or was he coming to you as a like a new endeavor? I was with him, I was with them since August 2015. So oh, okay, so you're already on board with them. So throughout all this time period that I wasn't doing shit, yeah. He understood, though, and he, you know, he helped me along. He supported me in all ways you can imagine. Yeah. And then he gave me that tough love instead of dropping me. Yeah. He gave me that tough love and said, okay, let's, you know, let's get it going. I understand you're going through, but let's get it going. And yeah. here's some, here's some tips and here's some advice. I get your life in order again. Yeah. 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 That's, that's pretty awesome. So, so he gave you a push and then you decided, so why, okay. Why didn't you decide, okay, the army thing is gone and he wants you to try the coaching thing, but why weren't you thinking to yourself, I want to get back on stage? I dude, I had like no money to my name. So that was number one. Number two, I'm starting to think about my future. I'm like, I could put all my money into competing like I was, or I can start thinking about number one, my mental state. Number two, my financial 
present and future at the time. And then I'm going to revisit this. And that's what I started doing. And I got more into the coaching and it grew very, very, very quickly. Yeah. Uh, You know, the clientele came and obviously people, I always had people winning as a side. It was always, like I said, it was a side thing. People were winning, but I never expected it to get to the level it is now. Um, And I fucking love what I do, dude. You know, people look at it like a business and they call themselves entrepreneurs. But when I look at it, I truly like helping people. I don't like just coaching competitors. I really do like helping people and those that follow because I was in a lot of these people's shoes before as a teenager and then coming up and then turning pros. So that's where my whole passion comes from, just helping these people and helping them achieve their goals. And when they win, I win. So you know, I'm very thankful for everything Joe did for me. And everything that led up to all this was a big learning experience and everything happens for a reason. So it's been three years now and you're still on, on board with Project AD mm-hmm. and you're actually a very successful coach. How many clients do you have now? So at the peak last year, I had 126 and that was too much. How do you fucking deal with 126 clients? Dude, at the time, I was sitting in my house day in and day all day, all night. I was barely in my house. I wasn't training really last year. Yeah. And that's when I realized, okay, this is just like too much. I was able to keep up with it because yeah. I love it. I never want somebody to feel <coughs> they're not getting what they paid for. I don't ever want anybody to feel like they're slighted because I know what that feels like. But at the moment, there's 83. It's still a lot, but for That's me, still it's crazy. It's, yeah, it's a lot, dude. Like, like I, I, I think at my... Like, I mean, I've always done it with competing, but at the peak I had like 30 or 40 and I was like, this is crazy. I can't deal with 30 or 40. And, but maybe if I was doing it full time, like it's your full time thing or or are you still doing other things? No, no, that's my full time thing. So that's another thing I left out. So all my life on and off, I did decorative concrete work for my dad. He had us working very young. Okay. So after New York pro, um, I was working with him for a while just to make sure I paid my bills and all that. Um, all the way up until March of last year, March, February, March of last year, when the clientele really started kicking up, I realized, okay, I can't do anything else. Yeah. And I just, I stay home. I work from, I work from home. I make sure I handle all my clients correctly. And yeah. this what I do full time. So handling all of those people for me isn't a problem because I'm just by my phone all the time. I'm by my computer all the time and I'm back into training. So it's, e- it's easy for me, you know? Do you do, do your clients call you on the phone? Do you, do they have your phone number? They have my phone number, but they text me. They can text me and voice note me whenever they want. So your your rules for them are you can text me, you can voicemail me, but you can't call me? They can call me if it's urgent. Because the thing is, if okay. you leave that door open to 80, I know, I know. <laughs> dude, next thing you know, you have people calling you to ask you what they could eat at dinner. I know, I know. They're out. But you know, the thing is, too, with the texting, I always have my phone on me. Yeah. I tell them if I don't answer right away, I'm probably in the middle of something, but yeah. I answer as soon as I can. So yeah. you know, voice notes, text message, unless it's really urgent, like maybe like something medical or something way out of the blue. Yeah. Then they know, me, which, you know, like I said, the response time for all that, they don't, they don't mind. With the yeah. point, so. See, I always, I, I came up in a time when it was all email. Like when I worked with Chad Nichols, I don't think I ever spoke to Chad on the phone. I don't think I even had his phone number until I was like a day out from a show. So yeah, funny you say that. Cause I worked in 2014. Yeah. And that's what I turned pro with. And even then, like, texting was, like, barely anything. <laughs> no. And I got, I got a little scared. I was trusted, but I got scared at times because yeah. I worked with a few coaches and it was all through email. Yeah. And I was like, okay, here's your plan. You look great. He would never compliment me. Oh, yeah. I was all through email. Okay, I just follow the plan and check in what he says. And there's no texting. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Just, that's- we got a little closer to the show than we texted here or there. But Yeah, no, but I think he he started to realize that 
time is passing now and other coaches are doing the texting and the phone calls and stuff. So he opened up a bit, but I worked with him back in 2006. And at that time, nobody was texting, nobody was calling. It was all done through email. Unless you were like, you know, obviously you probably talked to Ronnie Coleman on the phone, right? But like mm-hmm. all his other clients were probably just like email only. So that's the way I kind of do it with my clients is I don't know. I don't have the texting thing going on with my clients, but I'm on my phone all the time. Anyway, I get my emails, right? Mm-hmm. But I don't, uh, I, I always feel the way you, like what you said was if I give them my phone number to text, I start getting shit like, can I have ketchup with my eggs? And can I, you know what I mean? And I'm like, yes. See, that's, see, for me, since I do it full-time, like questions like that, I always tell them. If they're a good client to listen, I'd rather you ask and assume. If you assume, they're going to make an ass out of yourself, my dad always told us. So that's what yeah. I tell them. <laughs> but, you know, if, like, I'm also a very direct person. Yeah. And I always tell them, listen, I'm very direct. I'm very respectful. So if somebody is abusing it with crazy, stupid, I tell them, listen, you know, I shut up. But listen, all due respect. Is X and X, you know, however they want to take it, they want to take it. But I always yeah. set those guidelines up front, and usually everybody is cool with it. But, you know, the questions of, like, uh, the ketchup on eggs and or weird <laughs> shit like that, you know, it's just. <laughs> so you seem, you seem like a really, like, straight up, no bullshit kind of person. Do your so clients, that's a thing, too. But I want to ask you, do your clients ever take it? Like, are they ever... Uh, do they ever take it in a bad way? Like, oh, maybe he, he's not nice to me. He doesn't like me. He's not coddling me enough. Like, do you get that kind of shit? Or is, do people appreciate your, like, just straight up attitude? So most appreciate it because I just tell them as is. Like, I was cho- coached by Chad. You know how Chad is. You don't give no compliments. No. I was coached by all the top coaches. And they were always very direct at me. Yeah. And that's how I want to be with them. And that's how I always wanted to be. People wanted to be with me, so I'd be with them. Because if I sit there and bullshit them or coddle them, what good is it for them? It's not yeah. going to do anything for them. So you do get the people here or there that are like, oh, I feel like I'm afraid to text you. I'm like, why? Oh, you come off a little standoffish at times. I'm like, no, I'm just, I'm just direct. You know, I have no reason to get nasty with somebody unless they give me a reason. They'll know if I'm being nasty. Yeah. You know, and then there's like, uh, for instance, I have this thing. If I know somebody's not following a plan and they, they pay me, I'll be all right. You know, maybe it's somebody a fat loss client, right? Yeah. I said, send me a picture of your cardio screen when it's done every day. Text it to me. <laughs> so here's, here's things that need to happen. Either they magically get leaner. These are yeah. things too. I do a full time. I like to push people, but if they show me over and over that they don't want to comply, then goodbye. You waste your time. Yeah. You waste my but I will try to push them for a while. Yeah. This is one of the things I do. So send me the picture of your cardio screen when you're finished. I want to see the whole thing. The calories, the level, all that stuff. So the two things happen. They either get leaner. Yeah. Two, maybe nothing's happening. I got to evaluate something else. Or three, they either stop answering me and they yeah. go the other way. Or like, for instance, somebody blew up like two months ago. I don't understand. You're supposed to trust me. No. I'm disrespected by this, this and that. I even know we have time together. I'm going to go another way. I was like, I didn't get this. I said, just send me a picture of party or screen, man. Yeah. You know, so but I like well, to be very upfront. But I would just be honest. I'd be like, I don't trust you. But you're not losing any weight. Something's not right. And I, and I need to make sure you're doing everything I tell you to. That's exactly so. how I talk to people. And, you know, yeah. people that know me know I mean it in the most genuine and non-disrespectful way. I'm just very upfront. Right. If somebody comes to me and they want to get ready for a show, I say, okay, let me see your pictures. Let me see if you're able to be competitive in the show. And I'll tell them, no, maybe you need off-season time, yeah. X, Y, and Z, whatever. I like to be very upfront because I don't want to sell somebody a dream. Yeah, it's not. It's not here to do that. I'm here to make people their best. 
as long as they want to be their best, and that's it. If you're sitting here and yeah. coddle people, compliments, and accept their bullshit, then what good is it for them? You know, they're paying me to get them to where they want to be, and that's part of what I have to do. Yeah. So you mentioned something about a back issue. Uh, what was that about, and when did that happen? So all those years of squatting, deadlifting, all that weight, I never had any issues. So 2016, I stopped really training. I was training very on and off since then. Yeah. Um, I lost a lot of muscle. So last June, I was like, okay, I'm going to get back into training. I was feeling good. Started training. My back started getting really tight. I also mm. stopped working for my dad. So I'm sitting at a desk day and night, all crazy hours of the night. My back starts getting tight. So I'm like, hmm, okay. So I tried training. Maybe I shouldn't train. July yeah. comes. It starts turning into a sharp pain. Mind you, I wasn't really doing anything. Maybe I was riding my motorcycle. Maybe that made it worse. I don't know. So mid-July comes. It gets to the point where I can't move, dude. I look like an uh, old person, a 90-year-old person that's bent over bent like over. this whole yeah. The pain was just beyond excruciating. The nerve pain, though, was the worst. So yeah. I went against my beliefs, and I started taking painkillers. I'm okay. okay, I'll do this for a couple of weeks, and then I'll taper off and see what happens. It got worse, even with all that. Wow. So now I'm starting to get alarmed. I got a MRI done end of July, and I brought it right to the doctor, my doctor in Long Island, Dr. Verma. He looks at it, he goes, you need to be in surgery like this week. He wow. goes, your nerve, there's no circulation going to your legs with the spinal canal. The nerves are so cut off. There's three herniations, two are bulging. And there was no way around that. He goes, I need to clear out these nerves. I need to fix it up. He's not a big surgeon guy either. So a couple of days later, I was in surgery, August 3rd, 2018. They did a laminectomy, disectomy. Um, they cleaned it all out. It was supposed to be two-hour surgery. It wound up being five and a half hours. That's wow. how fucked up it was. Now, his theory on this whole thing was, is that years of abuse, doing concrete, training, football when I was a kid, my muscles were supporting it. Yeah. Um, I, you know, that's just how the body works. That support system gave out, and finally it was like, fuck you. You know, you could live with herniations, as you know. Most yeah. people have herniations. They don't know. It's just a matter of how severe it is and when it comes out. When it comes out. Yeah. So, um, so that happened, and um, yeah, dude, I had the surgery. Definitely needed. I was out of the gym again from last August. Tried training early this year. I got scared. Yeah. June, I really got into the training. Okay. Then I was, then I was an asshole. I was a complete asshole because what? I was in the gym, in the yeah. gym. You're going to laugh at this. I had 120 in one hand, a 125 in one hand. And I didn't realize it because there was no markings on it. I'm counting the plates like an idiot. <laughs> yeah. I pressed it two times. I'm like, what the fuck? And mind you, I'm fucking, I'm getting into, I'm pissed. I come up, as I'm coming up with the bench, I launch them. Yeah. And then I, I go pick up the 120s without squatting down. And I felt oh, no. something. Dude, I felt it in my back. And I'm like, fuck this. It's good. I press it. I finished the workout. Next day, I couldn't walk. No way. Now it's, now it's bad. Yeah. And uh, that went on from June to August. August, it started clearing up. Thank God. Got the MRI. It's still fucked up. It is what it is. But it was a good enough scare. Um, there was a tear in one of the discs. One of the discs. Yeah. Started with therapy. My doctor told me, he goes, Dom, I, if you're in pain right now, it's fine. He goes, it's not bad enough. Get back in the gym tomorrow. You need to get back in the gym. You need to get your muscle back. You need to strengthen yourself. Work your physical therapist. And okay. ever since then, it gets tight here or there. Yeah. But thank God it's been. It's so been you're good. okay. Do you think I'm you're okay? Do you think you're ever going to go back to squatting six plates? No. Four no. plates. Like, will you ever go back to squatting heavyweight or are you just like, I'm not going to do that no more. I don't need to. I already have quad. I already have good quads. So the egotistical squatting lover inside of me says, yes, let's definitely squat. But the smarter side of me and those around me say the muscle memory is there. You built great quads. You can do it with leg extensions. 
uh, hack squats, leg press, just like Dorian did. Yep. Just like a lot of guys did. Your muscle yep. memory is there, your foundations, and you can build on that. So yep. there's a lot of ways around it. Um, you know, can I squat though? Yeah, probably some lightweight over time. But yeah. the days of doing all that weight, uh-uh. Yeah. No way. Yeah. So the one thing that does concern me though while we're on this is um, my legs haven't really been growing like they used to. But they don't um, need to. That's they're very they're very atrophied from the nerves being cut off. Oh, okay. So, so you're wor- so you're worried about trying to get them back. Yeah. So I'm more worried in my head because I'm an overthinker. But my physical therapist and I'm training with Oscar right now. They say, listen, the nerves got to adapt. They were cut off for so long. Yeah. Um, so I'm actually going to start training the new fit next week to start waking them up a little bit. I'm seeing my physical therapist. Yeah. It's just a matter of um, keeping the discs healthy, making sure the nerves are clear. And just letting the, the nerves adapt again because there's no nerve damage because it's not atrophy to the point where it's like yeah, normal yeah, yeah. muscle. Just shrunken yeah. down because of inactivity and uh, the nerves being cut off. So it's just going to take a little bit of time, but I am feeling great. I am training 100% again. I am eating. I'm getting back to my old size little by little. And mm-hmm. I am going to compete again. You strike me as from talking to you this little bit as um, somebody who looks at bodybuilding in a very mature, methodical way it seems to me like coaching is almost more important to you than competing. Is that true? Or is that just what I'm getting from this interview? It is. And why is that is listen, I love competing. It's in my blood. I want to try to be the best competitor I want to be. But now I have clients who pay me money. I have people that rely on me for their goals, either the competitor, or non-competitor. And my competing will never take over that. Mm. Um, but one thing is too, is even though when I was hundred percent bodybuilding and prepping, I always became more productive when I'm in a routine and I'm focused and I'm trained hundred percent. I don't really get tired. I look okay. I look for more things to do. It's just how I am in my nature. It's odd. A lot of people want to like that, but um, you know, it'll never overtake my clientele, but I can use a balance of both. You know, it's not like I said, I was doing concrete and going to school when I was a kid, still bodybuilding. Well, no, I I don't say it because, um, because I don't think you can balance it. That's not why I say it. I say it because most guys that coach, coach because they're trying to supplement their bodybuilding dreams. Whereas for you, it sounds like you kind of been doing it because you liked it ever since you were 16. And now it's become more of a passion for you than actually competing does. It's from the sounds of it. Anyway, it sounds like you actually have a real passion for coaching and it's not just something you're doing to like make sure you can buy all the food and get on stage and all that shit. So is that kind of like an accurate way to look at it for you? That's 200% accurate because, like I said, I, these people invest in me and I invest myself in them as long as they're serious. I'm not taking their money to pay for GH like a lot of people. I'm not starting yeah. a prep saying, hire me to do this. Yeah. These people rely on me. And I know what that's like to pay somebody and have a goal and rely on them to help me achieve that goal. So it will never, it will never overtake my clients and you know my coaching. My coaching is about them. It's not about me buying nice things. It's not about me being able to buy more supplements as a bodybuilder, super supplements as a bodybuilder. That's number one. Yeah. My computer, number two. And that's it. What, um, if you do get on stage, when do you hope is a realistic time for you? So hopeful is next fall. Okay. Um, because I want to be, uh, 2016 was a disaster. Yeah. But when I come on stage, I have to be at my absolute best. Win, lose, or draw. I always like to compete to win, but I have to show everybody, okay. And for myself, this is me at my absolute best. I beat all my best um physiques and whatever happens from there happens from there so mm-hmm. hopefully you know we'll see you next fall you uh you said something about a motorcycle and i've seen a lot of posts of yours on a motorcycle and i am 
a motorcycle wannabe. I've wanted, I've wanted a motorcycle. I love cars. Okay. I love car. I love cars, and I've wanted a motorcycle since I was like fucking fifteen. But it's always been a, a fear for me because I don't want. I I'm I'm just like if I get a motorcycle, I'm gonna get fucking I'm gonna fall off it and I'm gonna get injured. So I just have never gotten one, even though I always I'm so interested. Mm-hmm. Your whole theme seems like a you have a biker theme. I mean, even even back to the backdrop behind you, like the logo has a biker feel to it. Yeah, right. the the rockers on it. Yeah, they call those rockers. Yeah. Yeah. So are you, are you like actually part of a motorcycle club or you just like to ride? Yeah, no, I, I love to ride. I've been riding since I was 18, started on uh, little stunt bikes and ATVs and my friend, uh, my friends told me how to ride on. I ride a Harley. I've been, I can never ride sport bikes. Yeah. Uh, actually I actually have a diner and yeah, I'm, I'm actually a vice president of a motorcycle club here in Brooklyn. Are you? Yeah. Is it like a, I don't know. <laughs> Obviously you can't divulge. Is it like a hard ass biker club or is it just like a bunch of guys that love to ride? No, no. It's like, it's not like a riding club. It's a motorcycle club, but you know, it's just, our thing is too, is, you know, you got these guys who put patches on and stuff like that yeah. and they try to be something they're not. They try to act like tough guys. That's not us. We're all men. There is a tight brotherhood between all of us. And that's true. We're all close to each other's family. We all look out for one another. Yeah. And that's just, that's our rules. That's it. We don't go out looking for shit. We don't go yeah. out starting trouble. You know, if you fuck with one of us, we're yeah. just men. And you know, we are a very close knit group. Yeah. And that's how we are. But, you know, we all support it. It's family work club. A lot of people are club everything, everything else. But, yeah. you know, we all help each other in our lives. And that's how we are. But riding, are the, dude, I, I love riding. What are the rules to getting in your club? What, well, what's like the, getting, what, what's what like, a, how, would, how would I get, like, how, if I walk, if I wanted to be in your club, how would I get in your club? Well, you have to be at least 21 years old. Okay. Um, you have to have a Harley or an American-made bike. It's okay. pretty much the standard rule anything over a thousand cc's um (laughs) (laughs) and that's and that's really it you know of course you have to hang around for a while let us get to know you and then we invite you to prospect as any uh yeah you know basic standard motorcycle club that's pretty cool man i i I admire that a lot whenever i see you you post pictures on your bike and you get your helmet on and your fucking face mask and shit i'm like it makes me want to go get a bike and then my wife is like don't get a bike you're gonna get fucking hurt you gotta do it dude i'm telling you that's one thing too is Throughout all those hard times I went through, unless you actually get on that, this is almost impossible to feel. And a lot of people will talk about this too, especially sport, like I said, sport bikes. They're for some people, but not for me. When you get on a Harley and you feel that the power in that thing and you're on the open road, anytime I was fucked up and something mm-hmm. was going through my head, like this in the gym was always there. But when you get on there and you put your music on or whatever, it was like 2, 3 a.m. Sometimes I couldn't sleep and I'll get on my bike and just go ride. Yeah. You come back a brand new person, dude. I mean, there's just nothing, nothing like it. The only thing I can compare to that is going for a ride in my vet. I go for a ride in the vet. I kind of let it rip a little bit. Come back. I feel, but I, it doesn't sound like it's the same thing as riding a bike. You know, some people, like I have a lot of friends that are into the car. Like, I'm not much of a car guy, yeah. but they get that feeling. But when you're on that bike and it's just, and that wind's hitting your face and you just got like everything around you and you just feel that speed. And like, it's, it's just, it just clears your head totally. There's no feeling like it. All right, I'm going to ask you a really stupid bodybuilding question, but part of the reason I haven't got a bike is I can't wear all the fucking leather in the summertime, man. I'll be fucking drenched by the time I got to wherever I was going to. Yeah, so that summertime, you know, you're really supposed to wear a leather jacket and everything, yeah. but not a lot of people really. I know I don't. I just I wouldn't be able to do because I sweat as it is with <laughs> yeah. jeans and a T-shirt on on that bike. Yeah. I mean, especially those the Harleys run very hot. Yeah, I mean, summertime here, if it's just 90, 100 degrees outside, 
Yeah. Sometimes it'll get really hot here in the summer and you're just dripping sweat. It's disgusting. But you don't care. You're on the bike. You know, if you walk into a restaurant, you know, you may stink a little, but it is yeah. what it is. Yeah. But wintertime, you know, I do ride in the wintertime. Our rule is as long as there's no snow or ice in the ground and no salt, yeah. you know, we ride. And that's when, you know, you bundle up and all that. And, but yeah. not. Winter, summertime, we wear whatever we want. Okay, cool. Um, all right. So on to, I want to talk about a couple of different things. I heard, I can't remember if it was a podcast or a video. I saw you talking about anti-estrogens. I want to talk about gear a little bit because that's what everybody wants to know about. So Mm -hmm. I've always had a little bit of a, I don't know, I'm not as familiar familiar as I'd like to be with anti-estrogens. So I want to start there. Okay. What is, okay, so to my knowledge, I don't want to cut off my estrogen in the off season. I want to maintain, I want to have a little bit of estrogen production in the off season to maintain growth. So I'm always like, okay, Nolvidex, not Arimidex. Mm-hmm. Where do you, where do you explain to me your philosophy on anti-estrogens in the off season? So a lot of people, they're afraid to take something like Arimidex or Romas in the off season because of the reason you said muscle growth, such and so forth. Yeah. Um, usually Nolvidex doesn't stop the conversion. It may stop it at the receptor site. Correct. Yeah. That's the thing. You want to stop the conversion of it. And you can do this in a healthy way without crippling your lipids and your joints and all that stuff. Um, Arimidex or Romans is usually my go-to. Um, a lot of people, most people that I work with respond to Arimidex great. It's easy to control. It's easy to feel out. You don't need a lot of it in the off-season, of course, depending on the doses. Um, but two, people forget that if you let your estrogen get out of control, it does affect the heart and the brain. Yeah. A lot of people don't realize that. And of course, yeah. your lipids and all that, you do need to have estrogen in there to keep your healthy cholesterol, your joints and whatnot. So I'm always in the off season, especially if you're on, you know, moderate to heavier cycle, you should yeah. be on an aromadex aromas. Of course, depending on your blood work and keeping it within the healthy range. You don't want to crush what, it like you said. Let's say you're on, uh, I think an average cycle for a lot of guys is 750 to 1,000 milligrams of test. So let's say you're in that range somewhere. Um, what would be a proper dose for aromadex? It depends on the person too. Like you get some okay. guys that can take like me, for instance, I need a milligram a day of a Remedex at 750 to a thousand milligrams of test because I am an estrogen monster. I had severe gyno yeah. when I was 19. It was insane. I mean, you see it in the off season. Like I try to keep it at a milligram every other day and I just try to like whatever, but that's why I get really soft too. Like, you notice yeah. my, my lower stomach, but it's whatever. As long as my levels aren't too high, my cholesterol yeah. is good. It is what it is. So usually about a milligram every other day is where I try to keep people at most in the off season, depending on the person. You may get somebody that doesn't really convert. Like I have a client, he doesn't really need to take much. He may take half of Remedex twice a week or once a week. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it just really depends on the person. But I usually like to stop the conversion totally and, of course, see what the levels are. Yeah. Keep it at that. You know, I don't want to rely on the Novadex 100%. See, I, I said the thing about the Novadex because that's what my thinking is now. But previously in my career – I was a big Arimidex advocate and I was taking about a milligram a day. And that's because I'm like you, I, I feel like I produce a lot of estrogen. I had a lot of gyno when I was younger and all that. So I was doing a milligram a day. The reason I stopped mainly is my good cholesterol was always super low. Mm -hmm. And I felt like the good, my HDL was connected to my Arimidex use. A hundred percent. So that's why you go every other day. You're trying to maintain a better HDL level. Exactly. So the one thing too is like, I'm very big with natural supplements as well. Okay. A lot of people look at them and they laugh at them, but they don't realize how powerful they are. Why wait for problems to arise to fix when you could prevent them? 
You know, you have supplements like a good quality fish oil, citrus bergamot, you know, all the, everything that Dante puts out and whatnot, that you can help prevent these things. You can keep the HDL up. Plus two, cholesterol levels are also linked to what you're putting in your, you know, your food, you know, high carbohydrates, sugars, sugars, especially it's going to make it worse. Your triglycerides going to go up. LDL is going to go up But the HDL, of course, depending on the person, you can keep that up with the natural supplements, but the Remedex every other day shouldn't drop the HDL that low, at least from what I see with my clients. Okay. It's funny. I, I, it, you just said that the carbohydrates are going to make your triglycerides grow up and your, and your LDLs go up. I don't think a lot of people make that connection because whenever people think LDL, they think fatty steak, they think eggs, whole eggs, they think cheese, they think that kind of shit. They don't think of carbs as a, as a problem with your LDLs. So is that where, if somebody comes to you and they have a high LDL or a bad ratio, is that one of the things you do is lower their carbs? Well, it depends on what they're taking in too. It also depends on what, what they were on before, what they're currently on, how much food they're taking in. Are they, do they have any extra sugars in the diet? Are they cheating a lot? All that stuff. So I know for me personally, I actually worked with George um, when I was 18 going on. George, George Farrow. George Farrow. Yeah. yeah. And I wasn't on anything crazy. And I remember, but my did carbs. He, did was, he promise you? Did he promise you were going to win the Olympia? No, not at that time. Actually, <laughs> okay. he he promised me that I was going to look like Branch Warren when I was eighteen, the day of the show. <laughs> so, I'm sorry, I got I got off track there. I just okay, go on. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And uh, I remember my that was the first time I seen my LDLs really spiked up, but I wasn't really. I don't think I was on anything at the time, but I remember my carbohydrates were sky high with him. And yeah. he said it's carbs. And that's when I started making the connection. But two, when you research and you see a lot of people that are taking in a lot of shitty foods or be high, super high carbs, depending on the person, starchy carbs, and mainly sugars, those LDLs go up and those triglycerides can go up. Yeah. I actually noticed that uh, a high carb diet can also affect your kidneys because a lot of people point to protein when they point to their kidneys. They're like, well, your protein's too high. You should lower your protein. But I actually lowered my kidney scores, like my creatinine level, and increased my GFR by going on keto. So I don't know if you've I don't know if you've noticed that with any of your clients. Because what happens is what I read was that the nodules in your in your kidneys, like the filtration, I guess, system for lack of a better term, okay. can become clogged from having too much sugar in your diet. Well, I can see that. So I haven't read that, but I can see that. Because think about it, high starchy carbs and sugars are very inflammatory, right? Yeah. They can wreak havoc all over. The, you could your fatty liver, yeah. heart, kidneys, uh, pancreas. I mean, they can destroy you. So I can see that. The one thing, too, I've seen, like, for instance, I actually had somebody that signed on me. He begged me. I actually took a chance. Mm. And actually, I have to give him credit. Dante helped guide me along. And this guy worked with two coaches, and he came to me. His GFR was 32. Creatinine yeah. was got ungodly sky high. Yeah. And I took a chance, dropped the protein down to little to nothing. So, yeah. well, listen, you got to stop training. You do a little bit of cardio. Um, however, the carbs are moderately high, I have to say, but we kept it as more complex carbs. That's what I do have to say. Yeah. Uh, a little bit of fruits here or there. And of course, a lot of healthy fats though. Okay. Um, of course, we're leaning away from things that are higher in potassium because as we know, that can affect the kidneys as well. Yeah. But um, I think too, the keto diet, it's a very anti-inflammatory diet. Of all That's true. hundred percent. Yeah. It's big with people with cancer, um, but anything with there's an inflammation about it. The keto diet most of the time can help. So the person, so the, the person you're talking about uh, that you helped, where did you get his GFR back to? He is now up to seventy three. 
Creatinine okay. is normal. Um, and yes, there's no, he actually had a lot of uh, protein in the urine and all that's normal. Dude, I took a big chance at this. And um, he was, I also sent him to Dr. Uh, Thomas O'Connor just to be a little more in depth. Yeah. He put him on a very low dose of lisinopril, 2.5 milligrams every day. And please, nobody take this advice. Go talk to a doctor. Yeah. Uh, but he's totally normal now. You know, he's done bodybuilding, but he just happened to be alive. He's happy to, you know, because before he had no so, idea. Oh, so he's done bodybuilding. So it wasn't like you were able to kind of correct it and then he like got back to bodybuilding. No, it's just, that'd be the stupidest thing you do is get back to bodybuilding. From what the doctor said, from what Dante said, you know, he yeah. trains. He stays on his TRT dose, and yeah. that's it. Because you know, when you damage those kidneys, they're damaged. People don't realize, and you know, especially for a GFR of 32 and every creatinine through the roof and protein in the urine, there's but scar if, damage done there. Yeah, but if you brought them back, doesn't that mean that it was acute and not chronic? We still don't want to take the chance. I see. We still don't want to. He he's afraid to take that, even take that chance. Really? He was so scared. Yeah, dude. I mean, it was, it was bad. Like I said, even Dante was helping guide me along. He's a very big mentor of mine, but yeah. the health supplement side of things. And, you know, Dr. Thomas O'Connor, because you know, he was using a lot of gear before with those previous coaches. And yeah. he sort of brushed off to the side of the kidney issues, and he came to me. And uh, I'm not claiming to be an expert in healing these things. I took, we took a chance. You know, I don't really take people on like that. We some little doctor. But we uh, definitely don't want to take that chance because it was for two years that those levels were getting worse and worse, he said. Wow. So what, when you say guys are coming to you taking tons of gear, what, what do you consider a high amount of gear? Can you, can you give me a number on that? Like, can you give us a ballpark? Yeah, of, what? of course. Um, let's see. Of course, like, it depends on the level of competing and stuff like that. But this guy was on uh, 1,200 milligrams of test, which is at his size, which is normal. But it was 800 milligrams of trend. Um, oh, shit. 100 milligrams of Anavar, 1,000 milligrams of EQ, um, 100 milligrams. Like, it was like, listen, I'm more big into stacking things, but when the doses were, like, sky high like that. Yeah. And this coach knew he had kidney issues on the rise. Yeah. Uh, it was just amazing. It was just crazy. But people taking 700, 800 milligrams of trend. I've had somebody come to me that was taking uh, 1,500 milligrams of EQ from a previous coach. Uh, just crazy, crazy shit. I'd rather see somebody take a little bit higher t- higher test than any of yeah. this other stuff. Yeah, I agree. You know? My my philosophy on it is your test level should be the highest number. And it's okay to stack like, you know, three, four drugs. But it's if you're going to stack, the whole benefit to stacking is you can stack at a low dose. That's you know what I mean? Thing. Like, like I know guys will take one or two drugs, but they'll take them both in like high amounts. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I think you're going to make better gains if you take three or four, but you take them all in a lower dose. I have to agree with that, especially in contest prep too, is that everything has a use. You have your DHT drugs, you have your androgens, yeah. all that good stuff. Your test is always going to be higher and all the other drugs you don't need a lot of. You're not yeah. taking them all the time. Your tolerance and receptors aren't that, you know, um, adapted to them. So you can take all these things, well, a few things, put all different uses, DHT, androgens, all that stuff at a lower dose and then be effective. Yeah. What, um, what do you what do you think your coaching style is like? When I look at Chris Aceto, we all know like Chris is the known as the the carb and protein guy, and Meadows is known as like a little bit higher fats and like carbs around your workout. Like Chad was always known as like a carb cycling, like heavy heavy carb cycling type of person. Mm-hmm. What is do you have a thing, or are you just everything's catered individually? I have none when it comes to nutrition. I have none, and where that comes from is I've worked with all the top coaches put a disclaimer. I don't copy anything they 
have me do. Unless I fully understand and know how to apply something, then I do it, especially if somebody that's paying me. I have no style. I just take somebody who comes to me, they give me X, Y, and Z. Whatever my brain comes up to my give it to them, I tweak it from there. No nutrition plan has ever been the same. I don't have a style. Some people may need carb cycling. Some people may, may need to be higher carbs the entire time. Mm. Some people need little to no fat. Some people need moderate to higher fat. It really depends, and when, especially what the situation calls for, because the body adapts. You need to know how to make those changes and how to make those changes, uh, when yeah. to make the changes, how to make those changes, and such and so forth. What? But okay, so I agree with you there. Like, if somebody comes to me, they're always going to end up getting like. After the first two weeks, everybody's diet is different, because everybody's body is going to react differently to what you give them. Mm-hmm. But for me, the initial diet. I have a set plan in mind. Like I, I kind of feel like I, I use a little bit more fats than most people. Um, I kind of put more car. I, I've, I really not adopted John's system, but I feel like I learned a lot from John. <laughs> so that's kind of a little bit my style too. Okay. So do you have like, when you first give somebody their diet, are they always all different or is there kind of a plan in mind before? They are always all different. Really? And I wish I could even tell you my thinking behind that is, I look at their pictures. I look at the questionnaire they sent me, what they're currently doing cardio-wise, drug-wise, diet-wise, all that stuff, any uh, health issues they may have. And I think to myself, do I need to maybe make them more insulin sensitive, lose some fat? Maybe we can start off with higher food, moderate food, higher fats. Whatever my brain comes up with, I just write it, send to them as long as I follow it, and I tweak from it. It may totally change. It may not change at all. It may be tweaked. Is every diet is always the same off the bat. And I wish I could say where my thinking comes from. It's just whatever my brain computes based off these pictures and what they tell me. Okay. Okay. Um, what is the, is there a, is there a Miss Cardone? Are you married? Are you have a girlfriend or wife or anything like that? No, there... no, I'm single. You're single? What yeah, a... that's, I have two dogs and my kids. <laughs> two dogs. <laughs> so was anybody there for you? Like, was somebody there for you to help you turn pro, or is it kind of just you and your friends and, you know, your coaches? Yeah, and- I mean, I had girlfriends, of course, throughout the years, but um, I always like to do things on my own. I always like to cook for myself. I mean, then again, none of them even volunteered to cook for me, but that probably wasn't good. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> that's that's a whole other topic. But I always was like, I liked, it was, by, that was another thing, too. I never liked dating competitors. I couldn't do it. You know, if they like to work out, great. This is my world. You have your world. I have my world. Let's talk about each other's yeah. worlds. And that's it. You know, I always cook my own food. I always went to the gym, my own, all that stuff. Nobody really, of course, my friends, my close friends, and my dad yeah. was always my biggest supporter. Yeah. Um, but in terms of like girlfriends, stuff like that, no. There's got to be, I agree with you, there has to be a separation a little bit. Um, like my wife is in the industry, but like on the back end, like she does like, okay research marketing she's done some writing like editing stuff like that uh and she goes to the gym here and there but it's not she's not in that world like she she did a couple shows a long time ago but like Mm -hmm. i agree with you if it's if it's not that it can't work but just for me i prefer to have my own like this is my life like you said this is your life this is what you do and kind of we meet in the middle somewhere and i feel like everybody's just happier that way that's that's how i am i feel like it's hard to when you're trying to get ready for a show, I feel like if your girl is trying to get ready for a show at the same time, there's just too much going on. There's too much tension. And it's like it's too much selfishness. <laughs> it's like, yeah, see, that's, see, that's the thing too. It was like with me, I don't really get like tense before a show. Of course you have your moments, but I always hold it in. 
but like with past girlfriends too, like I couldn't imagine like both of us being tired at the same time. Oh, you have to do cardio. You have to do cardio. You have to eat. You have to eat. You have to train. You have to train. <laughs> it's like, I'd rather, like, I'd rather than eat a cheeseburger in front of me and I eat my food. I know it sounds weird. And you talk about your day. I talk about my day and they're totally different. And we speak about each other's thing and that's it. Just for me, I just like, I don't know. It's like, I love bodybuilding. I love everything about it. But if I'm with somebody, yeah. you know, listen, they work out and they eat clean. Cool. But yeah, yeah. Wise, oh, this is my thing. If you want to support me, great. If not, whatever. But I always like having my own little, uh, bubble to be in yeah what is uh what's next what's next for dominic cardone are you are you gonna just is this the coaching thing gonna be your business forever or do you have other plans to do bigger things with it like or you know is it just competing and coaching for now or do you have other dreams that you're trying to no, kind of get I into have, i have i of course have other dreams I'm still trying to figure them out coaching was be number one competing of course i'm I said over the years I'm making a comeback and my mind wasn't there. Obviously I could just said that before, but now it's for real. I'm definitely getting back into competing for myself to lead by example to my clients. Um, and of course for my mom, cause she wanted to see me be successful as a pro, but in terms of like business and stuff like that, coaching will be number one. Um, yeah. I do want to get into real estate within the next year or two, start finding more things to invest in because I do want to have a family one day. You know, I want to get married. I want to have kids. Um, and of course, of course they're going to have to you know learn how to earn things. I also want to make sure we're in a position that, you know, I can provide for them and everybody can be comfortable and whatnot too. Cause, um, I've learned that tomorrow isn't promised. So instead of thinking about now and competing now and money now, I want to think, you know, five, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, hopefully I'm still here. You know, you say you never know what could happen tomorrow. So yeah. I want to attempt to be prepared for whatever's to come. Yeah. You know? But I would like to get into like real estate and, um, you know, that's really, it's in my mind right now is the clientele and real estate and preparing for the future. And yeah, that's really what's in my head. Um, I, I don't want to keep you too long. We've been going for about an hour now, but I want to ask you a couple questions about competing uh, just because I know we didn't get into too many X's and O's. What do you think? And it doesn't have to be actually just competition. It can be off season stuff too, but what do you think is the number one mistake your clients are making or not your clients, but when people come to you, and they're having problems and they can't get their shit straight. What is the number one problem they're having? Is it, is it they're cutting calories? Is it they're taking too much drugs? Is it they're relying too much on the drugs? They're not consistent enough with the diet. Like what is, what is a, a, a small set of plans you can give somebody to keep their shit straight? Do I have to give one? No, give a combination? no, no. I'm, you can I'm give a give bunch because people are I'm probably gonna... writing this down. I'm going to give a, I'm going to give a whole outline of what I learned for myself and my clients. Um, number in no order is like you just said, the reliance of drugs over training and diet. The training is what creates the stimulus for the food and the nutrition and even the gear after that. Most people are not trained. Most people think they're training hard and they're not. Yeah. They just they're afraid to go to, like we just said before, afraid to go to failure, all that stuff, afraid to do the compound movements, afraid to work with a few movements to get, heavy and hard with them most people not train as hard as okay they can. wait wait i want to i want to interrupt for one second because you said you said that before and i wanted to touch on it what do you mean okay i know you said you're a big research guy so what do you make of the studies that are out now saying that you don't have to train to failure studies well studies could blow me <laughs> dude, dude in terms of research i'm not i want to put another disclaimer on that i'm not big into like studies because with what we do, are they only researching 
my, uh, mid-level to higher-level bodybuilders and doing all this? Are they re- researching true bodybuilders and doing this? No. So you know what? Like I say, history and results don't lie. Look at all the bodybuilders throughout past time, including yourself. Um, I know you trained your fucking ass off all the way up to yeah. today. And no, like you don't need to train for failure. How are you supposed to achieve that look of looking like you, yeah. of looking like these guys that are winning their pro cards? Yeah, yeah. You know, you need to push beyond those limits. I and mean, that's the same goes with the food. Now, it doesn't go with the gear. Of course, you have your times you push with that, but you have to train for failure. But you can't do it all the time. You have to know a true, smart coach and athlete knows when yeah. to pull back in these things as well because you will hit a wall if you do this just repeating day in, day out. So science, so science is a guide but not a rule necessarily. 100%. 100%. It can definitely be a okay. guide, especially with how things work in the body, how muscles and whatnot, but it's a guide because bodybuilding – if you could put science in a book and all these things to say, this is bodybuilding here. And you follow that book. It won't work. Most people won't work. Everybody is different. Everybody's made different. Everybody functions differently. It just won't work. And that's what thing. That's the thing with my coaching is too. There's more than one way to skin a cat. And uh, you know, you have to really learn how to think outside the box, when to change things, how to know when things are adapting, all that stuff. So I'm really not a big science guy. Like I said, it's a cool little guide for certain things. But if you do, if you look at what all the successful bodybuilders on the national level, or pro level, have done, you're not going to find it in the science books and yeah. research. It's yeah. not. Okay, so so step one: train your fucking ass off, train to failure. Got that one. What's what's next? To the food. Most people think they're eating a lot of food, and they're not. <laughs> they're just oh, I'm eating so much, I can't <laughs> eat no more. Yeah. You won't believe how much you how much you're eating. Well, I'm eating three egg whites and some toast for breakfast. Um, for lunch, I have some chicken and uh, some rice. And then I have a shake in between. And then for dinner, I have maybe some chicken and steak with potatoes. How much? I don't know. And you know, that's not that much. That's the thing, too. Um, you have to fall in love with eating a lot. But the thing is, too, is people say you have to force feed. If you're force feeding, something's wrong. You have to have an appetite there. Like I said, the training creates a stimulus for it. You should get hungry. You're going to want to... Oh, Sorry, I got I got I got to interrupt you because you keep on bringing up questions that are okay. extre- extremely important. So, force you say if you're force feeding, something might be wrong, right? Yes. But you're also telling people they have to eat a lot. Now, the only reason I'm asking this question is I force fed myself a lot <clears throat> through my ears because mm-hmm. I was just trying to grow as fast as I could. Now, maybe maybe it's the wrong thing to do. Uh, maybe there's a better way, but I feel like when you tell people that they don't have to force feed, they won't eat enough to grow the way they should. So maybe you can elaborate more on what you mean by eat a lot, but don't force feed. Okay. So I'm talking to like the general, making general statements. So to yeah, break yeah, it down yeah. a little bit more is for instance, with my clients, I digestive health is a hundred percent, a big part of things. How are you digesting things? If you're throwing if you're just jamming a bunch of food and your body's not absorbing it, what good is that doing you? Yeah. If you, how are you going to grow? How are you going to, you may run into insulin sensitivity problems. I don't want to sound complex because I'm a very simple person, Yeah. but um, you know, that's a big, big role in things. How is your body digesting these things? How is it absorbing these things? Is it actually benefiting you or you're just jamming those food and you're going to hit a wall? You know, a big thing too is, is stomach distension and whatnot too. If you're just clogging yourself with all this food and not absorbing it, where's it going to go? It's yeah. going to sit in the stomach most likely. So the big thing with me too, with my clients is if they're not hungry, 
I need to make them hungry. Either maybe adding a little bit of cardio and reducing the food, seeing what they're doing with training wise. Maybe they're not recovering. I build up their appetite to where they're able to handle a lot of food. Yeah. And they're never really force feeding. What's happening is if they're absorbing it, they're putting this muscle tissue on pretty freaking quick. And humbly speaking, I have to say my clients do progress pretty quickly. And it's not from the drugs. It's yeah. from the day in, day out eating. I monitor the eating every week. I don't tell them checking on me once a month. And that's a very big thing with me. Digestive health, making sure everything's you know running properly and you know making sure that food is being used to recover and not just sitting in them. Now, how does that person know? It's just, it's just confusing, right? Because, <coughs> sorry, excuse me. How does somebody know? Because I've had clients that are like, I'm stuffed, right? But then you reduce their food or you change their, manipulate their food, maybe remove some fats or whatever. Mm-hmm. But then their weights just plateaus. They don't gain any weight. They don't feel any bigger. They're like, oh, I don't feel as strong this week. So you try adding more food back in and they're like, oh, I'm stuffed. Where is that line where you're like, okay, I'm, I'm feeding this person enough food, but they're not force feeding. So that's the thing too is one, a lot of people don't realize that how your food tastes could impact how hungry you feel. So I know it sounds weird, but if your food, if you put the effort into making your food taste good, you're going to want to eat it most of the time. That's true. Um, If you, most people, oh, I'm sick of it. I can't eat. I have no appetite. Okay, but you have five ounces of chicken in this meal, like 100 grams of rice. Uh, What are you talking about? You give them a burger, a double burger, and a large fry, they're going to eat the whole thing. (laughs) So that's sometimes as too is having your food blend. Are you making it taste food? Okay, maybe it does. Um, but one thing I do is I will lower the food for maybe a few days, a week, yeah. and a little bit of cardio, get things going, and yeah. then I'll slowly creep the food back in. And then usually metabolism running faster. It's like adding wood to a fire. You're adding more carbs in. It's yeah. going to usually make it go a little higher. And most of the time, it does work. But the appetite, like I said, the taste of food does impact appetite. I know it does for me personally. That's why my food needs to taste good. Yeah. Um, you know, you want to look forward to eating. You know, if you're eating six, seven times, five to seven times a day, yeah. you want to look forward to it, you know? Yeah. Okay. So step two, don't be a bitch. Eat your fucking meals. Okay. Step three. Um, three, don't rely on the drugs. And that's going to lead to another point. You know, maybe I'll just title for point three. Don't rely on the drugs because if you're not training hard and you're not eating, the drugs aren't going to do shit. It doesn't matter as much as you take. It doesn't matter how good your stuff is. It's not going to do anything. Yeah. You can get away with lesser amounts of gear if you're training and eating hundred percent because the drugs are creating more protein synthesis, be able to store more glycogen, all that stuff. Um, the training is creating the appetite for the food. The drugs are helping you recover from these workouts. So the over-reliance on drugs is becoming a very big thing. There's so yeah. many people that come to me, and the first thing you say is, oh, what's your philosophy on drugs? Well, I'm taking X, Y, and Z. Okay, you're taking X, Y, and Z. What's your diet like? And they don't have any. Right not, there's no structure. Yeah. How are you supposed to maximize what you're doing with all these drugs if you're eating something and you're not training hard? Yeah. You can't. And you're only and, burning out receptors. Can I tell you, it's really interesting. In August, I sent Dante my blood work. And I said, can you give me a hand? I, I don't like the way this looks. <clears throat> and the first thing he said to me was, I want you to get rid of all your gear. You're only allowed to take 300 milligrams a week. And uh, two, I use a GH. That was it. I'm still on that same protocol. I feel fucking great. I'm 285 pounds. I squatted four plates with chains last week, which is heavy for me. It's not six and a half like you, but um, that's a heavy weight for me. And uh, I'm benching three plates pretty easily. Like I feel great, but I think sometimes we get caught up in the numbers more so than what actually feels good. 
You know what I mean? Like I've, I was always the guy who was like, I need 1250. I need 1250. I got to have 1250. That was my, like, that was my magic number. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I thought if I use less than 1250, I couldn't make any fucking progress. And I'm at 300, which is like a little over a TRT dose. And it's been fucking over three months now, four months almost. And I feel great. So it's like, I, I agree with everything you're saying. The food and the training matter more. And I think guys get lost in thinking the numbers are what matters more so than just, it's only supposed to amplify what you're doing. Correct. It's like a supplement. Yeah, we're not we're not using it to build. We're using it to recover from what the the shit we did in the gym. And I'm guilty of it too. That's why. So I'm just kind of telling a story that like fucking even pros sometimes have that like mindset where more is better. But it's kind of like I'm learning through my own trial and error that you don't have to. And now you know me and Luke talk about it too on our show. You know, Luke's like at 750, and Luke's like you know, guys squats fucking seven plates and benches five like i experienced it myself yeah and uh, i i really learned about it when i started working i was the cedar was doing my diet in the off season of 2015 going to the new york pro yeah and that off season i remember i went to him he goes okay he goes uh we're gonna go down to 200 milligrams of tests and some hd for six weeks i'm like i'm like i'm getting ready for new york pro how are we gonna do this my off season? <laughs> but i did it i did yeah. it and i was yeah. training with oscar so i know i was getting the most out of my work that's but yeah. he was feeding me a lot yeah. A lot. Did I get fat? Yeah, but I was still growing. Gives so we shit. did that. Through, I never cared about that. So we yeah. did that. I was like, wow, I feel fucking great. I'm yeah. making progress. Yeah, I was getting stronger. So then it was time for the cycle. And then it was uh, 500 milligrams of test and a whopping 200 milligrams of EQ a week. So I'm like, <laughs> like, all right. I'm like, I guess we'll see how this goes. Yeah. And I did it. And I went up to 275 that off season. Yeah. And was I yeah but dude i mean six weeks out from the new york pro i was 249 i was in damn fucking good shape i yeah. was my strongest season i was my biggest i yeah. felt the greatest and i didn't really need a lot of shit and that's where i really learned that you don't need a lot but i will put another disclaimer in this and i keep saying that word is our genetics aren't like most people most people will do that and yeah. some people do need them more than the others yeah some people will see results faster or slower than others but um you know, genetics do play a big part in that. Of course. But I think a lot of, like you just said, people definitely get caught up in the numbers. Big time. There, there's definitely a caveat to it. I mean, look, I'm, I'm at 300 milligrams a week, but I'm also already fully grown. Like my genetics are maxed out. Like I'm not going to get any bigger. Like this is it. So it's like, I don't know if 300 would have worked when I was 25. No, trying to build up. No. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like trying to build, but now that I'm already there, I'm like, okay, maybe I don't have to fucking do all this crazy shit. Cause I'm already at the, the, you know, I'm, I'm I go on stage at 255. Like I'm not going to go on stage at 280 and 290. Like that's never going to be me. So no, maybe that's, that. Well, that's how I don't mean to interrupt you. I'm sorry. No, no, it's okay. Go ahead. So that's how I explained it to people too. It was like 300 milligrams of testosterone levels are over normal. Definitely. Yeah. Um, so if they're over normal, why can't you maintain what you have and get stronger if you're eating and training and pay attention to recovery and you're on a little That's bit right. of GH2. Um, and plus two, can you make gains when your testosterone levels are elevated of 300 milligrams if your genetics are good? Not overnight, but it's good. You know, you will still get there. Time. Fuck yeah. yeah. Especially if you know you already have that muscle there. That's how I explain it to the people. Yeah. You know, um, you said something else that triggered something in me it, it, that triggered a thought. Um, do you think guys, I feel like guys are staying lean now because of Instagram 
and they're not actually getting as big as they I don't know I don't know how much like how heavy you get your guys in the off season but when I did my own off seasons back in the day I used to get heavy like I would get like 40 pounds over contest weight mm-hmm. uh sometimes 50 and but I didn't care because I was putting on 10 pounds of stage weight every year you know what I mean so it didn't matter to me I didn't care I was like whatever as long as I'm making the gains at the end of the day I don't give a shit if I'm fat do you think guys nowadays are too concerned with what they look like on Instagram so they don't want to put on the weight? A hundred percent. Like one of my guidelines is that most people, I would like to see somewhat of an outline of their abs. Yeah. Um, somewhat. They don't need to be thick. They don't, they don't need to be chiseled in or anything like that. Somewhat of an outline. Yeah. Um, I don't want them to get a gut like I always did. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> but, you know, people definitely try to stay way, way too lean because, again, history doesn't lie. From your experiences, look at the guys in the nineties, early two thousands, yeah. mid two thousands. These guys got fairly soft in the off season. Yeah. And how are you able to put all that food in without getting somewhat soft? Mind you, a lot of people can't, you know, if you the way I do things, I try to build the metabolism up, let them be able to handle all the food so they stay a little harder than most people would. Yeah. Based on how we handle things. But you have to embrace the idea of getting soft, throw a sweatshirt on. You don't gotta look at yourself, you don't gotta post pictures on Instagram. If you're worried about Instagram, like this is what Joe Binley says, he goes, post your fucking, get strong and post that on Instagram. Post yeah. your lifts. Yeah. You don't got to be posing all the time. You know, impress yeah. people like that. And then when it comes stage time, then you reveal it. You know, you don't got to be right. fucking posing the mirror every second and posting pictures of yourself. That's and right. that does hold people back for sure. Yeah. Well, is there, is there a step four or are we got we with the three solid rules? Yeah. So I'm going to add, add on to step three. And that is, you're going to have to come off your gear. Um, when you get, older in age, you do have to stay in a little bit of TRT, especially if you're competing at a higher level. Most people, I like them to come off totally in PCT. Yeah. And the reason being is all my coaches made me do it. Um, most people can handle it. Now, my thinking on it is, is you gonna, are you going to recover your testosterone levels right away? Fuck no. It's not going to mm-hmm. happen. It takes a long time to do that, especially if you're using these drugs and whatnot. They suppress you beyond that. But the thing is, too, is you fully have to clean out, especially yeah. if you're not genetically blessed. Yeah. You have to get the most out of what you're doing. You have to come off. You have to let your body take a breather from these things. Um, and plus two is when you do this, I feel like your body somewhat wakes up. So later on, when you want to have kids, when you want it to come back, it's a little bit easier than all this just continuous over and yeah. over. So a big thing and what I always made tremendous amounts of progress in myself was coming off and running these PCT drugs, taking the break, eating, and then hopping back on. And then you just explode. You're fully yeah. cleaning out those receptors. You're letting your body take a break health-wise, mentally-wise, receptor-wise. And, you know, so you can revamp things. And then when you come back on, you should respond way better than you did before. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. Actually, up until up until I was about 35, I came off twice a year, every year. Like, all the way off. Not, like, a little bit of tests here or there. I mean, like, I would come all the way off, HCG, Clomid, Novodex, run that stack. I would come off for, like, it got shorter over time. But originally, it was 8 weeks, 12 weeks. Then it became 6 weeks, mm-hmm. sometimes 4 um and it wasn't until i hit 35 where i realized okay i can't really go off like i'm my test production is just gone so my off became like two three hundred milligrams a week that was my off yeah and that becomes uh, normal yeah but i but i totally agree with you when i was when i was younger and i was i guess i don't know if you want to say healthier but my test production was a little more normal Mm -hmm. i would totally go off but the thing the thing i always have with issues with clients is when i when they go totally off they stop eating they, I feel like their, their eating suffers and everything and their weight drops. 
Mm-hmm. And what I try, try, and t- try and tell people is if you go off at 220, your goal should be to keep eating as much as possible to stay at 220 so that when you go back on, you shoot to 230 or 240. That's how you break a plateau. And I, and I think that's what guys are missing. Like, well, I don't want to go off. I'm going to shrink. I'm like, well, you're not going to shrink as long as you keep eating your fucking meals. Like you'll keep, you know, you lose five pounds of water weight, but like, you're not. so I don't know if you find that when you train your clients, but that's one of the main things I found is like guys don't have the same level of focus when you take away the, take away the gear. 150% on a couple of things is that focus that you're talking about. Oh, I don't have the same drive. Oh, this and that. Yeah. Okay. You may not have the same edge, yeah. but you if you're following the diet and your appetite, so there's no reason why you can't eat your food. There's no reason why you can't train. Can you train as hard? You should try to, but yeah. you know, you may have to pull back in things depending on the person. Um, but you have to come off the fucking drugs, man. And that, you know, that one thing too, with my clients is, is that I watch even off season guys, I watch the off season guys as much as I do prep. They will check them every week. Yeah. So if the appetite suffers, I try to fix it. We go back to the steps we spoke about. Um, if they're training and they're eating clean, there's no reason not to have an appetite. But like you just said, you have to eat like you're still in cycle. Think about training like you're still in cycle and you'll get through it. Will you get a little softer? Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Will you get a little, uh, not be as round? Yeah, whatever. Because when you go back on and those hormones fucking spike, you're going to lose that softness. You're going to yeah. put on a shit ton of muscle right away and you're just going to get stronger. And it's just going to be like, it never even happened. That's what, that's when guys say, like, how do you break a plateau? That's always my number one answer. Cause it's like a boomerang effect. You go off your body, like, but you try and keep it at that weight. And then you just rock it right past that weight when you get back on. And I don't think guys are willing to do the off part. They just want to break the plateau, but they're not willing to like take the break. You know what I mean? That they need to break the plateau. You hit it right in the head is that boomerang. I always call it a slingshot effect. Yeah. You come back a little bit and then it's just going to fucking, Yep. Forward. And that's what happens to me every I spike up to a weight I never hit before. Yep. I don't look that way initially, but then I stay that way. And over time on the cycle and through that phase, I get bigger and bigger and grow into that weight. Yeah. And that's why I tell everybody, you have to, you have to, you have to have to come off to give your body that break to make that slingshot effect. Because yeah. if you're on all the time, or if you're a younger guy and you're on TRT and you're blasting cycles on and off, you're going to hit that wall and it's just not going to work the same. You're, gonna need, you're going to need to use more. And yeah. we know what comes with that. Yeah. How many times a year do you tell guys to get blood work done? Uh, usually two to three times a year, depending on the person. Okay. Um, it's usually two to three times. Um, I wait till they're right off. Cause usually if somebody's on cycle, we know things are going to be skewed. If somebody is on for a longer period of time, then I will have them run it on cycle, depending yeah. on how long they're on. Um, but usually right after we see how skewed things are usually with my clients, things don't really get too messed up because most of the guys follow the diets. Proper nutrition does affect your blood work. Yeah. cycle the health supplements if anything is off okay let's fix it yeah. four or five we say that let's run it again okay we're good we're going to stay off for x amount of time and then we'll go on again okay. so usually two to three times a year i encourage everybody to get echocardiogram if they can ekg usually most places always do yeah um, ct scan especially as you're getting more and more into things um if they're able to get it it's hard to get in the states because some doctors give you a little bit of trouble with insurances yeah yeah um, but all those things are very important especially into having making sure you have not the perfect storm is not brewing inside of you yeah yeah um is there any other rules to success that you want to add to that those are pretty much the general general outline uh, of course of course there could be little you know <laughs> yes. things to each and we could go yeah. on and on about that i know i know general off-season um yeah. bullet points we'll say um okay last question about dieting uh, before i let you go 
when someone's prepping, are you a high cardio guy or low cardio guy? Depends on the person, but I will say generally speaking, higher cardio. So you're like, uh, like, are you a two 45 minute sessions guy or are you like a one 45 minute session? Oh, it depends. I always, I try to start everybody off. Uh, most people with cardio, I want to do most of the work in the beginning because I don't want to have to crush them at the end. So it could start off with 20 and 20 because I love faster cardio and then go 30 and 30. Yeah. And then 45 and 45 is usually my max. I don't need yeah. to go really fast with any of that with anybody. Yeah. Uh, but the cardio, that's another thing too, is a lot of people are afraid to do today is the cardio. They want to rely on drugs. They want to rely on T3 and Clen and crazy science shit to lose fat and whatnot. Yeah. But history doesn't lie, man. Even yeah. Dorian Yates did two 45 minutes a day and you yeah. know, he wasn't training too long. Most of these guys did all the high cardio. You know, you're not going to lose muscle if you're taking all these drugs and you're eating, it's just impossible. You're not going to lose it for cardio unless, you know, it's people like, Oh, I'm going to get skinnier. No, you're not. I don't know how I see some coaches, some coaches, like some clients will post. I only did 20 minutes of cardio a day, my whole prep. And I'm like, how the fuck did that work? I don't, I don't. So you could, you could keep somebody in like a major deficit the whole time they're dieting. mm -hmm. But I mean, wouldn't you prefer to feed the person and make them do a little extra work? That's how it's supposed to be, yes, because you're feeding yeah. them more and they're doing the car and they're training. That's how most of my clients grow into the show. That's right. Is that, you know, yeah, do I have to crush them with diets sometimes? Yeah, but, you know, we do have our times where we bump the food way up. Yeah. But that cardio is just going to get rid of the fat. The training, you don't want to rely on the training to get rid of the fat. It's the diet and it's the cardio. And that cardio, it's, it's, you can't, in my opinion, you can't get around it. Yeah. Unless, like, yeah, you are blasting them with T3 and, you know, Which, yeah. them with the diet, yeah. you know? um okay is there we've been on for a while dude i'm gonna let you go because uh, i'm sure you have other shit going on but i I just want to ask you before you go is there anything you want to promote or a message you want to put out there before i let you go man kind of let everybody know where to get your coaching or where they could find you any of that well first off i want to thank you for having me on you know i've been wanting to come on for a while yeah, you know it's funny you having me on here not to be like a fanboy but i will be in a way when i was 16 People get this weird, and you were—I think you were a muscle tech. Yeah. I actually had you was a screensaver on my fucking computer. <laughs> That's you know, awesome. Yeah, so, so it's weird being on here talking yeah. to you, you know, being a pro and talking about all this with you. So I just want to thank you, you know, to have, have me on. Yeah. But anybody wants coaching, you know, you can go on my website, CardoneNutrition.com, or you know, you can go to my Instagram at IFBB Pro Dominic Cardone. You can see all my client transformations on there. I put up videos once in a while, giving tips. You can ask me questions through DM. Um, and that's pretty much it. Of course, you know, we spoke about it, Project AD. They had my back for years. Yeah. Um, I've always highly recommended them. You know, those products, they know. And you, got a, and you got a podcast with them too. Oh, yes. Oh, you my guys, God. You guys can listen You guys can listen to uh, Dominic, Justin Compton, and Joe Binley on their podcast. Yeah, it's, uh, it's called All Business Bodybuilding. We're on Spotify yeah. and iTunes. Um, Joe Binley is one of the smartest minds that a lot of people don't realize in this industry because his knowledge base isn't just bodybuilding. Nutrition yeah. as a fucking whole. Really? So his, yeah, his dude, if you listen to it, he gets so in-depth about the concepts about nutrition. He could apply them to bodybuilding, non-bodybuilding. That's why all his products are, you know. What, he, is, his, what is his background? In what sense? Like what, where, where did he get all the knowledge for nutrition? Is it self-taught or is it like? All, all self-taught, all research, yeah. talking to people. Yeah. Um, you know, that's, that's all on him. You know, he... A lot of his ideas, and I'm going to put this out here for him, with some of the products too, like the Mass Chaser, uh, when his mom was going through cancer, the same cancer my mom has, is he was like, how can I help people in the future? So like the Mass yeah. Chaser just came out with, yeah. you know, cancer patients can't eat a lot. 
So you don't want them to have a mask gainer shake that's full of shit. So that's how we came up with this clean mask gainer with low volume of fluid that people can have easily. So, you know, all these things of diseases, he also has a very big autoimmune disease. Before, b- before you go, wait, before you go, I want to ask you, what is the, what is the mass chaser product? Like, what is that? So the mass chaser product is a lot of people don't believe it when they hear it. Okay. But it's true to label. It's per two scoops is 500 calories, 25 grams of uh, whey protein concentrate, but it's the higher end of whey protein concentrate. It's not the garbage that they put in most proteins. Okay. Uh, 70 grams of carbs coming from uh, <coughs> the P10, uh, carb product, tapioca starch, and a little bit of dextrose. There's 12 grams of fat comes from MCT oil powder. But here's the kicker of the whole thing. You only need four ounces of water for two scoops. What? How does that even, how does it, how does it even mix? I know it's hard to believe. And you can mix it with a spoon, leave it for two minutes, mix it again, and it's dissolved. Like, It'll be drinkable, not pudding. Not dude, not pudding. It's hundred percent drinkable. He's been. You've tried it. Dude, I drink it two to three times a day. <laughs> and it's it's true to label. Everything he has is true to label. He's been yeah. designing that product for many many years. Yeah. Um. So like that's like a very very big out of the box thinker he is. Yeah. Like, most yeah. mass games are full of shit. You had to have a big shake. Um, yeah. you know, people with bodybuilding, they'll just have to use it. Say if you're going through an illness where you can't eat and yeah. you use something like that, there you go, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. 500 calories in a four-ounce fucking glass of water is pretty fucking sweet. And zero stomach discomfort. Usually you have something like that. Come on, now you're lying. I, I'm very resp- I'm, I'm very sensitive <laughs> to low-quality whey protein concentrate. Yeah. I put that down, 30 to 40 minutes later, I'm fucking starving. It's not really? even a mess game. Starving, yeah. I got to try this shit. Tell him maybe, to try it. Maybe we'll copy it when we do our supplement line. <laughs> we'll, we'll, oh my god! <laughs> I'm sure. Some, I'm sure. I'm sure somebody's gonna go for that's if they yeah. can figure out how to make it like that. But yeah, I know. Try it. Do the vanilla flavor because uh, what I noticed with the chocolate, like it may give some people a little bit of like an acid yeah. uh, with the chocolate just from the flavoring. Yeah. So the vanilla is my favorite way to go. You could drink that, and that was about zero, zero bloating, zero nausea, nothing. There you guys go. Whoever's having a tough time eating 500 calories and four ounces of water, man. You can't beat that shit. No. Um, okay, Dom, I'm going to have you on again. We'll, we'll talk some more shit in cool. the near, in the near future, but I appreciate you coming on, man. Thank you very uh, much. Thank you for having me, dude. Okay, dude. We'll talk soon. Sounds good. All right, brother.